Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dodd Pod, your weekly espresso shot of all things DeLonghi, Braun, and much more. This is episode number 13, recorded Monday, June 29th, 2020. I'm your host, Jamie Waller, and as always, joining me is my compadre to the north, Graham Anderson. So we are really excited for today's episode because we have our first external special guest on the show. So we're taking a deep dive into the world of coffee with one of the best in the industry. Get to know him and his vast experience with coffee over the decades. I'm telling you, you're going to be learning a ton in this episode and the next ones coming up. Oh, I'm so excited for it, Graham. Yeah. So excited for it. I just, uh, I don't know, spoiler alert. No, no spoiler alert. I don't want to, I don't want to spoil alert, but I just, I think you even mentioned it in, in the, in the pod, in the, uh, in the interview with him. Like, I feel like we know a lot about coffee cause we've been really dedicated to it yeah. over the last, you know, myself speaking like five years, but I learned a ton from that interview. Like it's, it's insane. It's so good. How, how deep you can go. So I, I'm excited for for our listeners to to hear and get educated on on just and we're just scratching the surface with this guy yeah. to begin with. Anyways, yeah. I don't want to. No, he's he's been in the industry. He's been in the industry for decades. Um, I'll give everyone that's listening just a brief synopsis of who this person is, and then um, don't worry, it's not like it's like a celebrity or anyone. I mean, that would be really cool. But this guy is like the celebrity of coffee, specifically specialty coffee. So we'll go there in a moment. But before we do that. We have a really fun show, a real fun pre-show, and you guys are probably wondering, we both have baseball caps on, and we both have different baseball caps on. Well, for those of you who don't know, baseball is finally coming! Woo! We hope. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see it. We'll believe it when we see it. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, baseball is coming. What are they calling it? Spring Training 2.0, and it looks like the teams are going to be playing in their home ballparks for spring training. So, as you guys can see here... I don't know if you're a Red Sox fan or if you're Mets fans, but obviously if you are, you're also Yankee haters. So uh-huh. I'm a Yankees fan. And as you can see, Graham is a Toronto Blue Jays fan. He's also a Raptors fan, so yeah. he's a half of a winner. Oh, <laughs> Ooh. ouch. Hey, 92-93, baby. That's, hey, it's still, it's still part of history. So, yeah, we're yeah. both excited. We wanted to rock the baseball caps because I'm definitely excited about baseball. I'm sure Graham is as well. Obviously, we'll be watching it on TV because there won't be any any people in the stands. That's for sure. No, no. I was uh, when we were talking about this before before the show. I was thinking if I had to if I had to share my my favorite sort of baseball moment, you know, what would it be? Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you first. I want to ask you for yeah. I want to ask you first. What you have one like. All your years going to the games, watching the game, like what's your one sort of standout baseball moment? Okay, I have one. I mean, there's there's many. I mean, I've been when um so the my one of my favorite moments. I can't say it's my number one favorite moment, but one of my favorite moments was um, the 2009 season. And for those of you who don't know, the Yankees did win the World Series in 2009. It feels like yeah yeah yeah. It feels like a million years ago because you know the Yankees tend to win a lot of a lot of series in a row, oh, but River. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 11 years ago. And that's, that's a long time for the Yankees. But in 2009, that was the opening of their, their new ballpark. Um, mm-hmm. They call it, you know, the house that Ruth built was the old one. They say the house that uh, Jeter built or the house that the Steinbergers built is the new one. But anyway, um, I had the privilege of going to many games throughout the season. I've been went to about probably 15 to 20 games throughout the season. Wow. And then there was the pre the postseason. So I got to go to two playoff games in the postseason and the best game that I had been to, unfortunately, it wasn't a World Series game. It wasn't a clinching game, but it was the game that clinched them to go into the World Series. So I was there, uh, great seats. Uh, Mariano Rivera is pitching. I remember, mm. I, I can't remember who he was pitching to. You guys will have to test me on this one, but I remember it was a fastball high, um, swung in a miss, and that was it. They clinched and they went to the World Series, and we were all excited. We went to Models, which is a sporting goods store local, and we got all the gear, and uh, that was a lot of fun. That was really cool. How about yours, Graham? I, uh, I mean, the Jays haven't haven't provided Toronto with you know a plethora of exciting moments to, to choose from. Um, you know, I, I 
I think there's the obvious ones. I mean, I was pretty young when we won the World Series. I remember sort of watching it on the old tube TV, but I don't I don't remember he was caring. Really. I didn't way, really know what it was. Wondering. He was like oh, one. Yeah, I think I was, we like I know, six? Actually, was six. I think six. it was six. Yeah. So I I didn't really understand what was happening. Um, <laughs> I mean, the most exciting baseball that I've watched that was meaningful to me was obviously the Bautista years and the bat flip and Joey Bats. Yeah, and I just remember that seventh inning that was, you know, an eternity. Um, I think it was 50 minutes or something ridiculous. And it was – I, I'd never been – I've never been so engaged in a, in a baseball game in my life as I was. I glued to my, glued to my seat, uh, the emotions running high, and then just the way that it worked out, it was such an incredible game to watch. And I wasn't there live, unfortunately. We actually had a training the morning of. Oh. Um, so I was I was out at a hotel in the morning, and I had – this is many years ago, so I can share it now. I actually had the game on in the background because everybody that was at the training was also interested to know what was happening. So I I was streaming the game in the background while we were doing the training. And then, I'm looking uh, something up while you're doing this because it has okay. to do with your story. And then got home in time to uh, to watch that seventh inning, which was incredible. So that was – I mean, that was my favorite. That's my uh, maybe not my favorite. Well, probably my was favorite, that where he was definitely. just standing there and you just kind of like looked and then he flipped the bat. Is that the one? It's the one where he hit the home run. The seventh inning. If anybody, even if you're not a baseball fan, even my wife watched the seventh inning and she was in, like, there I don't was. It. Yeah. You don't remember it? Oh my gosh! There was uh, so much had happened. We had we had lost the the lead. <laughs> Then they made three unforced errors. Texas made three unforced errors that, lo- you know, got two guys on. Like, we should have been out of the inning. And and, and then Joey Bats comes up, and, and he, he cranks a home run to, to take the lead. And that's the bat flip. He flipped the bat, the and bat that flip. caused – Oh, that was that, it. That caused the – you know, everybody's jumping, running on, and there was fights, and it got in- – it was so intense. So that was, that was the most incredible uh, baseball memory for me, I guess. So Jose Bautista, don't ask me why, but for some reason he, at one point he got into Twitter and I don't know if it was him or like his agent or whoever manages it, but he went on a following spree. Jose Bautista, his Twitter handle is JoeyBats19. Yeah. All of a sudden I get a notification on my Twitter. I forgot this was years ago. It says, Jose Bautista is following you. On Twitter. What? I'm like, what? Why am okay. I being followed? Okay. I'm still being followed. I don't know if you could see Come it. Well, on. it's probably hard I to see can... with my... Yeah. See? Oh, there you go. Jose Bautista follows you, right? He... Yeah. But he's following over 918,000 wow. people. Yeah. He's... Basically, all you need to do is have a heartbeat and he'll follow you. Exactly. Yeah. I'm yeah. surprised. I, I need a... I have my son have a Twitter account. But anyway, that... <laughs> <laughs> he'll be followed instantly. I, I don't. I don't get it, but... There's my little story with Jose Bautista. I, the other story I quickly wanted to share was my favorite baseball moment with you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That was, was that a year ago? Right. That, At least. That I feel was, like it was May. Wasn't it May? It was May of 2019. Yeah. We went yeah. to uh, Minnesota. Minnesota. We did. And the Yankees were in town, coincidentally. Yeah. Yep. That was an amazing game. Now, if you don't know that game, that was the game of the year for the Yankees. It was back and forth slugfest between the Twins and the Yankees. Yep. There was home runs. There was there was crazy plays. But the very end of the game, there was that ball that was hit to deep center field. And, oh, my God, who was it? Oh, I'm trying to blank on his name. Why am I trying to blank on his name? I know exactly who he is. Um, he reached out, grabbed the ball. Fell on the ground, and that was it. That was it, and it was. That was it. Wasn't it like some ungodly hour too? Wasn't it like, it was like midnight or something? It was like one thirty in the morning, local yeah, time. It was crazy. Local time. Yeah. And we had just flown there that day, so it yeah. was, it was late for us. But we couldn't leave at that point. Oh. You're 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 totally invested in it. You have to you have to find out at that point. I recorded that out actually on my phone, so. We'll try to get that onto this episode. Maybe we can get that quick little segment <laughs> Maybe, in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah that'd be cool. <laughs> I'm that'd drawing be a blank cool. on who it is. Oh, Aaron Hicks. Aaron Hicks. Oh, Aaron there we go. Hicks. Aaron, Aaron Hicks. Hicks. Former, former twin, actually. So there you go. So, so I do. I did want to say that 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 game changed me a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Um, and I, and I did. You know. 
Yeah. Hey. I'm not going to wear it for long, but at that, Freeze at that moment in time, Freeze frame. that moment in time, you were a I, was, I was a Yankees fan. I had to be. I, I was totally, I was bought in. So Thank you, there you go. Thank there you. you go. It was a great game. Right. It was a great game. So baseball's around the corner, guys. It's exciting. If you don't like baseball, forget about you. <laughs> if you do like baseball, yeah. yeah. Now it'll be interesting. We'll, we'll have to see how, how sports goes uh, over the next uh, few months. And NHL, um, NBA, uh, you know, all of that. So yeah. I'm just excited. I, I mean, if you no. can't go to the game, live sports, all that. Football obviously will be here before we know it. I play fantasy football and I can't wait to play. So it'll be great. So that's yeah. baseball around yeah. the corner. That's our little pre-show segment. Now, we are super excited to introduce you to our first external speaker on the Dodd Pod. Now, what we're going to do is this is going to be a podcast series with our special speaker. We got a lot of content with our special speaker, and we're going to break it up into segments based off of kind of the, the conversation that we had with this gentleman. But um, before we go into part one of our interview with him, we want to provide a little bit of background about who he is. So I'm just going to read off a little bit of a who he is, who this gentleman is, and then we'll we'll introduce you to him with our interview. So this is back. This all started in uh, in 1988. Okay, so he's he's been in the industry for many decades. So he began his career as a barista in San Diego, and you'll hear it was actually by accident. So you'll hear why that was. Uh, but since then, he has worked in a variety of coffee occupations. He was a roaster, um, a cupper. For those who don't know what a cupper is manager, trainer, and even a coffee buyer. So he knows a lot about green coffee or raw coffee. And uh, he got involved in the SCA. For those who don't know what that is, it's the Specialty Coffee Association, which we talk about. Some of our machines are certified brewers. Um, he started out as a, a volunteer well over a decade ago. There was a workshop that taught at the, at the headquarters of the SCA and inspired him to get more involved as a volunteer and trainer. Since then, he's been deeply involved in SEA training programs, it's for him. It's all about education and research. Mm -hmm. um, he was a past training committee chair. He's been a volunteer in the Coffee Corps. We actually didn't go into that, so maybe we'll do that in a future episode. Um, other programs, teaching cupping, roasting, and as well as marketing programs. So he's a proud member of the Roasters Guild. What doesn't he do? Director <laughs> of Coffee, and he was a co-owner of counterculture coffee which is based in durham north carolina so he was involved with uh, coffee shop ownership um, that was a whole wholesale roasting and coffee education company based in north carolina um, today and this is his current role he is the chief research officer and executive director of the coffee science foundation and the specialty coffee association and overall this is kind of the main theme he is dedicating himself to coffee education and advocacy in this community of specialty coffee that we're in and he wants there to be a recognition of extraordinary coffee specialty coffee and coffee professionals worldwide wow <laughs> buckle up <laughs> buckle up no this guy is great so um during this section, you're going to be seeing part one of our interview with the chief research officer of the Specialty Coffee, Coffee Association. His name is Peter Giuliano, and we hope you enjoy this part one of our interview series with Peter. Enjoy, guys. All right, so uh, here we have Peter Giuliano. Peter, thank you so much for joining. Um, we're very happy to have you. You're our first external guest on the Dodd Pod. So welcome. Oh, I nice. I know you're located out in California, beautiful Irvine, Orange County. Um, some of our listeners may be from there as well, or, or maybe have visited there. So that's a great area. So welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. It, it's really great. So we thank you for your time. There's, there's a lot of great information that our listeners don't know about um, the Specialty Coffee Association. For those who aren't aware, that's what we refer to when we say the SCA. It's a Specialty Coffee Association. It's a very large organization that does a lot, and Peter's going to tell us a little bit about it. But before we get started in the SCA and our machines and how we do certification, can we just Let's talk about you a little bit. And first of all, Peter, why why coffee? <laughs> what got you into coffee? Well, yeah, funny story. So um, I've been in coffee a long time. Coffee 
Well, copy chose me as much as I chose it. Um, <laughs> the story is that I, when I was in college, I used to go to a coffee shop in San Diego, which is where I lived. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of hung around there a lot with a friend of mine and, and stuff. And one day, and my friend wound up getting a job there. And, and uh, so I would hang around there more because he was working there. And then one day, somebody didn't show up for a shift. And the manager literally took an apron and threw it to me and said, Peter, you want to work a shift? <laughs> and I started as a barista that day. And I have never not worked in coffee ever since that day. Oh my goodness. Um, I was 18 years old. It was in 1988. Wow. And, uh, and I started working as a barista um, for a company called Panikin, which was a early specialty coffee company in, in, uh, in San Diego. And then um, uh, after that, I, I kind of, I started working in one shop. I started running that shop and I started to run multiple shops. And by the kind of mid nineties, I was running the, that company. Oh my goodness. And, um, and then we started a wholesale company um, doing wholesale coffee sales to restaurants and other coffee bars. And then in 2000, I moved to North Carolina where I um, had a, a coffee roasting company, a wholesale coffee roasting company there. Mm -hmm. And I did that for many years um, and, uh, and then sold that, moved back to California. And all this whole time, um, the Specialty Coffee Association was a really important organization to me because it was where when I was running this coffee company in San Diego, I needed a place to connect with other coffee companies to get educated about coffee. It felt in those days, especially coffee was like an archipelago. Like you, you, we were at that time, we were basically the only specialty coffee thing happening in San Diego. We knew of some coffee companies in LA and in San Francisco and stuff, but it wasn't like today you didn't feel connected. So you had to use the specialty coffee association was the was the thing that connected us all together and helped me learn about what coffee was was even about what mm -hmm. what uh what coffee science was what coffee education was and so in the when i was in north carolina um uh at counterculture i i um remained very active in the in the uh in the Specialty Coffee Association, I helped start the what's called the Roasters Guild, which is mm -hmm. the professional organization for coffee roasters there. And then, so when I sold Counterculture, I I decided to come on board with this company, this uh, organization that I cared about a lot, mm -hmm. and that um, and uh, so since then I've been at the Specialty Coffee Association, doing a variety of things, doing conferences. I head up a uh, a conference called RICO, which is a, a specialty coffee conference for coffee leaders. Mm -hmm. um, and I do now, uh, the last three years, I've been starting an, an institution called this, the Coffee Science Foundation, which is aimed at doing coffee research. Um, okay. So I, I'm really engaged in coffee research. So yeah, it's, my career has really been about coffee education, coffee science, and and then using that for to build the especially coffee community that's so the the research i think is a is a big part that people don't really understand you know the 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 average consumer i mean tell me if i'm wrong but i think the average consumer um there's probably a lot of opportunities there is to learn about not just coffee but specialty coffee and um, the background of where does coffee come from and the and the amount of work that goes in to going from farm to your cup, you know, straight from your farm to your cup, you know, on the process that's, that's in between. Right. Um, and then the research that's involved. I mean, obviously our, our collection, our, our uh, collaboration that we have with the SEA, especially again, reminding people, the especially coffee association has to do with certifying our machines, but there's so much more about that. And I wanted to, I wanted to just ask you, Peter, for those who are new to the world of coffee. So what is, when, when people hear specialty coffee, what, what do we mean by that? What do you mean by specialty coffee? Because people can go into a big box wholesaler, buy you know, five pounds of coffee, or they can go to their local supermarket, buy a bag of coffee, or maybe, uh, maybe grind it themselves at the store. Right. So what's different about specialty coffee and why it's such a big focus with the SCA? It's a great question. So um, 
the term specialty coffee was coined by a, a woman named Erna Knudsen, who, who was an um, early proponent of the idea that um, coffee could be special. And I know it sounds like a, you know, a little bit of circular logic to, mm -hmm. to say specialty coffee is special. But, but um, the reason she chose the term specialty is because she was making the connection. So like the specialty cheese is, is cheese that you know where it comes from. There's something unique about its flavor. Mm -hmm. It may uh, be a special kind of cheese. And that's, that is the opposite of a cheese that is manufactured and very standardized. Um, and, uh, and so it, with coffee, it's the same. It's coffee. So we think of specialty coffee as being a coffee that's being recognized for some attribute it has. It may mm -hmm. have special flavors. It may be from a special place or a special producer. It might be made a special way by a skilled uh, person like a barista. Um, but there's something about it that causes it to be thought of as more, to be valued more by the consumer. And, and it's, it's likely to be consumed as a recognized, um, uh, you know, imp something that's better than what you would sort of think of as just being the opposite of specialty, which is commodity. Commodity mm -hmm. things are interchangeable. It doesn't really matter what it is. A lot of times we think about sugar or flour this way, mm -hmm. where, where it kind of, it doesn't, the, 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 it doesn't really matter if it says flour on the bag, then it's going to be good enough to make. Um, right. Whether it's, whether it's store brand or King right. Arthur. I mean, well, first exactly. of all, I, I don't want to discount King Arthur flour. Right. Right. We do love King Arthur flour, but you know. Well, King you Arthur might be an example of a specialty flour, right? So, right. because it's got, it, it tells you about it's, it's uh, it, you know, what kind of protein, um, amount of protein it might have mm -hmm. or something special about it. Um, so, uh, but, um, but yeah, so, so that's, that's the concept of specialty. And, and so the one important thing to th keep in mind here, most people very quickly go to the idea of flavor. The flavor is better and, and different and more distinct. Mm. And the way that that works in coffee is many people might be aware that coffee isn't just coffee. You know, you smell coffee and it can smell like chocolate or it can mm -hmm. smell like berries or it can smell like flowers. And those sensory properties are an important part of what can make coffee special. But there's other things too. Like, um, you know, we were talking about the background here, you know, uh, uh, and how, you know, there's different roast levels there, sure. different, different botanical varieties of coffee or even species of coffee that go into this. And that's all that thing is, are things that you can learn. And, and as a barista, with my background as a barista, that's something that I realized early on is that specialty coffee isn't just about it tasting better, but it's also about learning something about what an Italian cappuccino is like, or what a French roast coffee is like, or what coffee from Indonesia is like. And that's, that is a, a journey of, of, of learning and exploring the world. And that's a big part of the experience, especially coffee as well. Is it, is it safe to say, Peter, that especially coffee, it's kind of like, it's like a, an experience, maybe more, more people familiarize themselves with, let's say, wine tasting, for example. Right. You're not just buying a $5 cheap bottle of wine. If you're buying a $30, $40 bottle of wine or more, you want to experience it. You want to, you want to have the right moment where you're going to try it. You want to be in the right environment. Right. And I think it's the same when it comes to coffee. It's, you know, it's buying the bag. It's the experience of, of, of the packaging and the time that it takes and where did it come from and who grew it? What was their name? Right. I feel like that's really, when people hear specialty coffee, it's like the fine wine of coffee. Yeah. That's a good way to think about it. And, now, and uh, yeah, I agree with you. Now I know at the at the very top because we have also when we do trainings and whatnot we show kind of a, a pyramid of of the levels of coffee where you've got that commodity coffee at the bottom but the very top is estate coffee is that kind of the the echelon of like single lot single place type of coffee or is it is that part of specialty coffee in yeah, the in, in, in the world there's a lot of terminology that comes um, in when you when you talk about uh, specialty coffee. Uh, coffee estate is one of those terms mm -hmm. um and you know uh and it's that's a that's a term that's borrowed from wine actually um huh? but um but yeah but there's lots of other words too like like certain countries have grading systems 
Um, for example, in Kenya, you can get double A coffee. That's a certain grade of coffee that they export. Okay. So that might be an important term. Um, altitude is really important, like how high the coffee mm -hmm. mountain is that the coffee is grown on, because those cool nights um, help uh, enhance coffee's flavor um, for um, for some really important, interesting reasons. So, um, so yeah, there's all these terms like high grown coffee or or um, or single origin coffee or the name of the farm, as you mentioned, or, mm -hmm. or the name of a cooperative. A lot of coffee is grown by small farmer cooperatives um, oh. in, in places like Colombia and Nicaragua and, and Kenya. Um, and so the name of a cooperative might be associated with it. So, um, so yeah, there's lots of, of, of terminology like that. When you start to see that terminology, you can be pretty sure you're in, in specialty coffee territory though. Okay. And I know on some of the bags, it'll even say like what altitude um, yeah. this, this coffee came from. And for those who don't know, by the way, coffee, you, you buy coffee and it's, uh, you know, it's really the seed of, yep. of a cherry, you know, that's, yep. people yep. don't realize that. And I think when, uh, Graham, who's, who's my counterpart, he had told me when I first learned more about coffee, when I joined Alonghi is it's called a coffee bean, but it's actually a seed, but we call it a bean because of the way that it was transported over the years when it started with, with taxes and whatnot. Is that, is that, accurate peter when it comes to that it's a bean but it's really a yeah. seed yeah i mean well one thing though about beans is they're seeds too right. so um <laughs> so uh yeah i mean it's one of those things i hadn't heard that about taxes before but but uh but um but yeah i mean uh uh the um it's one of those it's one of those terms that i agree is confusing to people mm -hmm. but that insight about coffee being the seed of a fruit is one of those points of, of insight that, that can really change a consumer's mind about the way they think about coffee. Because mm -hmm. suddenly, when you know that, then, then the fruit notes that can be in a coffee make a lot more sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Because you're, you're actually tasting, when you're tasting that, those really sweet, beautiful fruit notes, you're tasting in some way the juice of that coffee cherry. Absolutely, know? yeah. And when you're getting those floral characteristics in coffee, you're, that's, evoking the flower that you know got pollinated in order to produce that fruit and wow. and so um uh yeah the botanical origins of coffee are one of those places that people can get really fascinated by and lost in it's it's incredible you don't think about it it's the the fruits of it and there's different processes of course peter right there's there there's the i know there's the natural process the unwashed process and whatnot and that that makes a huge difference so what peter what um What's your experience? I mean, you were a barista. You're the research officer now at the SCA. What, what, how much in depth did you go when it came to, um, you know, coffee cultivating? I mean, do you, have you been on the farms? Have you, have you yeah. experienced it? Yeah. Um, uh, I, I spent a lot of years as a, as a coffee buyer. So okay. traveling, um, traveling to coffee farms, uh, to, to buy coffee. And I'm, I'm also interested in agriculture. So um uh uh yeah coffee understanding coffee agri agriculture and processing as you say like the process that it goes through after you pick the coffee but before it gets roasted mm -hmm. um has a profound impact on the coffee's flavor and and so you know understanding all of those things are a big part of what you know my uh my career as a coffee professional have been about and what make especially coffee so unique is it takes all these different professionals, good farmer, a good processor, a good shipper, a good roaster, a good barista in order to make the coffee turn out. But, and the miracle of coffee is that you can taste a coffee. I had a coffee this morning and as I was grinding it, I smelled it and I could tell by the smell that it came from Kenya. And how many foods are like that? How many yeah. foods can you, now given I've been around coffee for a long time and I'm, I'm more likely to be able to recognize, but I can, I've even taught my dad how to recognize Kenyan coffee, <laughs> you know? And my, my dad is like not a super sophisticated coffee guy or anything. And so, and that's a miraculous thing. I mean, yeah. it, there's not many foods that are like that. And, no. and, and so that's one reason I think sometimes to, to outsiders, or to like casual consumers as coffee people seem a little bit crazy, <laughs> a little bit obsessed. 
Um, but the reason we are is because once you start to take control of some of those factors, mm-hmm. um, uh, then you start to get these really cool experiences that really are rewarding. What is, uh, I'm just curious, what's, do you have a favorite origin or was there a coffee that, that you just experienced when they said, I've never tasted anything like this before? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, great question. I get asked this before. Let me, I'll tell you a couple things. Sure. First of all, my standard answer to this question is asking a coffee person what their favorite coffee is, is the same as asking a parent who their favorite kid is. (laughs) Um, uh, So, uh, but setting that aside, I do, I'll, I'll share one story, which is, I remember my first like coffee exp- like uh, sensory experience that really moved me. Mm-hmm. And it happened only a few months after I started working as a barista. Oh. A colleague brought me a cup of coffee and she said, you gotta taste this, Peter. And I did, and I can remember, that was in 1988. And I can remember yeah. exactly how that tasted. I can remember where I was standing. I can remember what what shoes I was wearing that day because it was so <laughs> moving and that that coffee tasted like chocolate covered cherries exactly oh. and it was beautiful and it was coffee from the Jampit estate in in uh, in Java in uh, in East Java I got to visit it you know twenty five years later or something and um, and that that was coffee that really moved me later in my life um, I got especially interested in Ethiopian coffees. And, and Ethiopian coffees are really important to coffee people because Ethiopia is where coffee is from. It was, mm-hmm. it, coffee still grows wild there. And coffee is just a deep and really important part of Ethiopian culture. And because of all the genetic diversity that exists in Ethiopia, those coffees can be absolutely transcendent. This, the, the smell of a... Uh, uh, coffee from a little, there's this little town in Southern Ethiopia called Yirgashef. Yep. That it, the coffees are just miraculous. And, and so I can remember, you know, many of my most moving coffee moments were tasting Ethiopian coffees and then going there. Going to Ethiopia is special for a coffee person because of coffee, but it should also be special for any human person because that's mm-hmm. where our species also originated. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so it's almost it, it 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 for me Ethiopia is special for both of those reasons. Wow! Because because it's the home of the of the plant which formed the basis of my entire career, and mm-hmm. it's also the home of our whole species. And you can feel it when you're there. Wow! Yeah, so, I have to say, my my wife actually one day she'll get there. She's always wanted to go to Ethiopia. She actually wanted to do more of like volunteer work and helping uh-huh. out with like education. Sure. Um, she has photography background. So she's right. always wanted to get there and do it. She hasn't been there yet, but now it kind of adds a layer onto it. Now that we're both obviously in love with coffee, yeah. uh, it just, it just gives us another opportunity, another reason to go there. So that's, I'm going to send you a, a link. Um, it, any of your listeners ever want to Google, there's a photographer named Amy Vital, AMI, um, and then Vital, V-I-T-A-L-E. And mm. she did a photo essay on Ethiopian coffee oh. about seven years ago. And it is, it, it, I love it. I talk about it all the time because it, she captured Ethiopian coffee in a way that nobody else ever has. And, wow. it, and it's exactly the way it feels. So I think your wife might, might uh, get a kick out of that. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll definitely post a link to that um, cool. in, our, in our show notes and, and on here as well, for sure, cool. in, our, in our episode page. That's incredible. I mean, but why, I always wonder like Ethiopia, I would say a vast majority of the world just, you know, thinks of Ethiopia, place in Africa, but what makes Ethiopia the, I mean, it was the birthplace, but what makes it so ideal for such amazing coffee? I've heard of Yirgashef. I've tasted it. It is completely different than anything else that's out there. It's pure. Um, it's like the manna from earth. But what makes, yeah. what makes Ethiopia that you know, well, echelon? Yeah. So, um, Ethiopia is one of those places, Africa in general, but Ethiopia um, in particular is one of those places that we should know more about. A lot of mm. people think of Ethiopia as being sort of a desert place or, or, and it has deserts there, but the entire western and southern part of Ethiopia are covered with mountains mm. and forests. And these are the two mountain ranges that are on either side of the place called the Rift Valley, which is 
which is the place where where uh, where our species um, evolved. But mm-hmm. those mountains are gorgeous. They're covered with trees, high mountains, lots of monkeys and birds and and life. They're teeming with life. And it's and they're and they're and they're so high that they're quite cool. These forests. It's mm-hmm. not like mm-hmm. not like a, a you know humid jungle. Mm-hmm. This this is a breezy, airy, very cool forest. And this environment is where um, lots of biology happens. There's mm-hmm. incredible genetic diversity in these places, and that's coffee. And and so and coffee uh, grew as a what's called an understory shrub, a, a, a small plant that likes to grow in the shade of larger trees. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, and it was the Ethiopians that started to realize that there was something special about the properties in those fruits and in those seeds. So they started to consume the fruit and the seeds and making a tea out of the leaves and, and things like that. And that's why um, uh, coffee is such an important part of, of Ethiopian culture. Later, uh, after the Ethiopians had, had had even started cultivating coffee, it sort of made its way across the Red Sea to what's now Yemen. Mm. Um, and it was in Yemen that, that people actually started roasting coffee and preparing it into a beverage and oh. things. So those two places, Yemen and, and Ethiopia, are the key points of origin for coffee. Now, there's one more thing that's important about Yemen, which is mm-hmm. that... Um, uh, because of its position on the Red Sea, um, it it was a place where a lot of the boats that were engaging in the spice trade with the with the uh, with the East Indies um, uh, would go past. So um, you know these trade routes that started mm-hmm. in what's now Indonesia mm-hmm. um, would go around India and up along the coast of of uh, Arabia, then through the Red Sea. And then up into the Mediterranean and places like Venice, which were trading ports. And um, because of those trade routes, um, they those same boats started to pick up coffee from Yemen, and that's how mm. coffee was introduced to Europe and and um, and uh, and then from there also the the Eastern Mediterranean, the Levant. Wow. So, um, so, uh, so yeah, so coffee is this uh, amazing sort of cultural history um, that goes along with its with its its value as a as a stimulant and also as a as a fragrant and beautiful foodstuff. Wow, that, there's so much involved with it. I know, you know, we we obviously had a we had questions that we'd love to ask you, but I just knew that just just discussing coffee in general, we would just go off on a tangent and talk about coffee specifically. And again, it's, it's such a fascinating world. Before I started DeLonghi, and I've been, as of now, as of this recording, um, at the end of June, I've been with DeLonghi less than two years. And I have learned so much, but yet so little about coffee because it's an ever evolving world. The way that, you know, you know, let's say for example, the threats that, you know, global warming has and climate change has on coffee and worries that the cost of coffee can be affected over time. And, um, you know, people, you think about how much coffee is consumed by the world. I mean, you just think about North America alone. It's such a staple. It really is such a staple. Yeah, it really is. And yeah. And it's, the one thing I love about you talked about learning about things about coffee and tangents mm-hmm. and things. And one of the things that's great about coffee is is there's there's so much um, to learn. I've I've spent an entire career, and 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 coffee has taught me about culture. It's taught me about history. It's taught me about language. It's taught me about science and agriculture and chemistry and and um, physics. And um, and one of the, that's one of the neat things about coffee is once you start to learn about it, it's endless, and it's also very multidisciplinary. There's a lot there, and it takes and it takes a lot of different kinds of people. You know, you mentioned how how you work for DeLonghi, and 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 you know the the coffee equipment, which has to be designed with engineering and mm-hmm. chemistry and physics in mind, um, is a really important part of this thing too. You know, it's not, um, uh, you can't, you can't get beautiful coffee without having co- 
water at the right temperature and, and the right pressure and, and ground the right way. And so there's this whole world of, of equipment that is part of it too. So, yeah. so, um, so there's, there's, there's just so much to talk about. In life. We're, uh, we're going to definitely talk about a lot of that actually in a moment. That'll kind of be like our second part. Cool. Um, but how do you, and we'll, you know, we'll talk about our, our machines. We'll talk about, we'll definitely talk about the SCA and the testing procedures and whatnot. But uh, Peter, how do you, you know, what's your go-to process for doing coffee? Does it evolve over time? Does it depend on the season? Well, you're in California, so the seasons, <laughs> you only have basically yeah, two seasons. But. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I'll, I'll share a few things with you. Um, I, I like simple things. You know, I'm a, I'm a pretty simple person, so I, I, uh, I prepare coffee very simply. I've been making coffee the same way for 30 years, you know, using a small pour over device and, okay. and, uh, and, uh, yeah. And that's part of my sort of ritual in the morning. I get up before anybody else in the house and in the quiet of the morning, I make my coffee and I love that moment, you know? Um, so, uh, so that's, that's something I love. The other thing that I'm very dedicated to is iced coffee. I love mm. iced coffee. And, and, um, uh, I grew up, my grandfather was a, was a, uh, was a, one of those guys that drank three or four pots of coffee a day, you know? <laughs> and, um, around noon, he switched from hot coffee to iced coffee. So I was exposed to iced coffee that which he would drink, you know, if he made a sandwich, he'd drink it a nice a cup of iced coffee with it. And I, became fond of iced coffee during the summer months. Um, mm -hmm. I drink iced coffee every day. I don't, I don't drink any hot coffee during the summer months. And, um, <laughs> and I, that makes me unusual. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of, uh, people think that's strange, but I, I, I've, I've developed some ways of making iced coffee that I love that really bring out some of the flavors. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah, I became slightly famous for for uh, iced coffee um, making. There, there was this time about five years ago when I was every summer I would do multiple like interviews with press about iced coffee um, <laughs> because I you know had become a little bit known in in uh, in specialty coffee circles for being an iced coffee advocate. But um, but yeah, so iced coffee is a big part of my my deal too. Yeah, it's we get so many emails now from you know different companies about you know get your iced coffee or you know right. every Monday two dollar medium iced coffee. Yeah. It's it's big in the summer, and, you know, and it's it's also I mean I would say that it's becoming um, pretty large throughout the year, um, especially in North America. I know I, I you know correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's it's pretty regional too. I think in other parts of the world, especially Europe, it's pretty much just either you know espresso or or a German style coffee that, right. that they drink where, you know, if you go there and you ask for a nice coffee, they might not give you exactly what you're asking, what you're asking for. That's true. It's quite different, but no, yeah. I, I mean, iced coffee is delicious. Do you prepare it? You have a unique, you said you have a unique way of preparing your iced coffee. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I figured out this method after visiting the country of Japan, mm -hmm. um, in Japan and, and Taiwan as well. Um, Ice coffee is very popular, mm -hmm. and so they they um, they've raised the preparation of iced coffee to an art in Japan more than anywhere else, in my view. Mm. And um, uh, so the uh, the way that they do it, you, what you do is you you pour the you you make the coffee so it drips onto ice as it's brewing, mm. um, and that creates this really bright, clean flavor and then you have to the the only trick is you have to sort of calculate for the amount of melting that you're going to get right ice. right think of that as part of the water sure um, but once you, it's a pretty easy trick and then once you do it you get this beautiful clean crisp refreshing coffee that's perfect for the summer i have to say <laughs> we're that's going to spill right into what we're going to talk about with with some of our machines which oh, good. use that exact process actually that's to, do you yeah. not People think, you know, well, first of all, there's also cold brew, of course, of course. which is a completely different method altogether. Different but if, thing, yeah. if you're doing, I think it, like this flash brewing method is, it's, it is very unique. So um, mm -hmm. I agree. And I apologize if you were going to, you're going to say no, no, something no. about it. Well, the only other thing I was going to say, you mentioned, you know, uh, different regional iced coffee styles and, mm -hmm. 
And that's true. I mean, but as a as a proud Italian American, you know, I, I I'll point out that the Chacarado um, is a pretty great drink, uh, in, in which is an Italian way to to make um, iced coffee. And then as a Sicilian, I don't know um, if you've ever had uh, coffee granita. No, uh, I haven't. Oh my gosh! So in Sicily, they make <laughs> they usually make almond granita and lemon granita and coffee granita. And granita is sort of a slush for those of you that oh, have never okay. had granita. It's sort of a uh, uh, a slush that can be made with any of these things, but with coffee, you take co espresso and sugar and water and you freeze it into sort of a slush. Mm. And actually Sicilians eat it for breakfast. This is, this is gonna sound strange, but it's the best thing. They take a, a, a piece of sweet bread, like a brioche, and they cut it and then they put a scoop of coffee granita in there and maybe some whipped cream on top of it. And it is so good. It sounds or, great. Or, or like vanilla gelato or something. And uh, that's breakfast in Sicily on hot days. So. I'm gonna have to look at that, look that up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's making me want to have coffee right now. Yeah. I've tried, <laughs> I've tried the more recent trend, the Dalgona. If I'm saying uh -huh. it right. Right. Yeah. It's it's good. Um, it's the one the one caveat about it is whenever you look at it online, it's always asking for instant coffee. Right. So you're not gonna get high quality coffee. It's more of a treat. You're you know the coffee is right. almost secondary. It's almost just like flavored but you know what it's it's good it's something different and and just from our you know this whole part that we've been talking about it's all about trying different coffees and different methods exploring the different regions so it's it's amazing so that was part one of our interview series with peter giuliano the chief research officer of the sca the specialty coffee association i told you you are going to learn a lot about specialty coffee. Wow. His background, where he's been, what he's done. I mean, just layers and layers. And Graham, you had you had um you had talked to me about this interview before and you're like, oh, you know, we we have a general understanding of coffee, but after hearing his experiences Oh boy. It, it's it's boy. embarrassing. <laughs> I, I'm embarrassed with how little I know relative to him. I mean he's he's lived and breathed this this category this you know his entire i mean basically my entire life he's got yeah. 30 what has he got 30 years 32 33, 32 years, years. Yeah. yeah i mean that's incredible that he's so dedicated to it and his wealth of knowledge just blows me away so you know i'm as I, as excited as i was for this first part the second part that's coming up is really what's uh i mean that's it's great to learn, and we, I would love to do like a, a series with him just on coffee. But yeah. I really to get into the science behind it and to really deeply, truly understand, like what makes a good cup of coffee versus a you know SCA certified cup. Like what are those differences? Yeah. And you know, scientifically speaking, and how do you how do you even certify? Like what all of those things is what. Yeah. Um, the, the second part of your uh, your interview really dives into, and that's super exciting. Yeah, it's it's so much information about the testing procedures, the standards, and the values that the SCA has. Uh, you know, he's the research officer of the SCA. They also work with those uh, labs. Um, their labs all over the country. Um, one in particular that we know of is is UC Davis, so University of California Davis, um, in California. But he's going to go through the testing procedures. He's going to talk about education. There's so much involved with the SCA and certifying home brewers like the multi-serve or the three-in-one specialty brewer. And there are things that we learn as, we've learned as trainers with those products. But you think you know it all. And then you talk to Peter. And there's much more. So uh, on our second, our second part of our interview, which you'll hear next week, he goes into more of the SCA and the testing procedures and Really, the things that you, you don't think about, but at the end of the day, and you're also going to learn about what do we mean by a golden cup of coffee? What, where does the golden cup come from? It's so fascinating. So if you're a fan of coffee as much as we are, and we are, Graham is, he's laying on a bed of coffee right now, as you can see. Yes. So um, <laughs> Comfortably, by the way. Very comfortably. Yes. Very soothing. Uh, you're going you're gonna to really, really enjoy it. Yeah. He, uh, and he's a wealth of info. He is, and uh, we would be amiss if we didn't give a shout out to to Jen Thomas, who, uh, who yes. really put us in contact with him and, and set this up. So, um, you know, it's it's one thing for you and I to to educate. We're at a certain level, 
Yeah. But when you bring in the experts, I mean, it's that's where you can really start to to learn and be more educated, and then inevitably it'll allow you to better educate consumers and better yeah. you know speak to the different products and you know why you might be paying a bit of a premium for one machine versus another when you really truly deeply understand what's happening, um, you know, in the background, like what the machine's actually doing. It'll it'll allow you to better educate your consumer and step them up into products that are and you know, that are going to make them have a better experience at home. That's yeah. that's exactly what this is all about. So, uh, I was super excited to have him on. I so cool. It's too bad I wasn't able to join live the interview, but I've I've really enjoyed actually taking a sort of a bit of a backseat and and watching you guys and listening to the conversation. It's incredible. So yeah. Well, yeah. he he had indicated that he's he's willing to do more interviews, and we're we're very excited to have him on, um, to talk about you know go into even like more of a very specific topic of coffee. So, and what we'll also do is we're going to ask you guys to provide your feedback on the episode. What did you think of the episode? What was missing? What do you want to hear about? So go yeah. on to Dodd, go on to DeLongyonDemand.com. You can contact us at the bottom of the website. Ask us a question. Give us a recommendation. What do you want to learn about? Um, maybe you want to be a future uh, guest on the show to be able to ask some questions that maybe you don't get to ask normally. So there's just obviously a wealth of information. This is just a small piece of our interview with Peter. This is a small piece of Dodd. So again, this is going to be on Dodd. You're going to hear more of our episode with Peter uh, coming up on a future episode of Dodd, of course. So uh, what a great first part, Graham. What a great first cool. part. So cool. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, we hope you enjoyed this first part of our interview with Peter Giuliano. Um, but for now, this has been the Dodd Pod for this week. I've been your host, Jamie Waller, joined by my counterpart to the north, Graham Anderson. We'll be back next week for more on DeLonghi, Braun, Peter Giuliano, and so much more. And until then, stay caffeinated, my friends. <laughs> <laughs>